You are listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these uninspired talks given by Michael McAllister, followed up by question and answer exchanges with groups of his students. It seems so much of our time in life is spent dealing with gain or loss. That we just are constantly being pushed around by these winds that blow. Gain, loss, happiness, sadness, praise, blame, success, failure. And that our liberation or our awakening is the ability to actually watch that occurrence. Watch our addiction to gain or our addiction to avoiding loss. Sometimes there's even a subconscious psychological addiction to loss. If I can just be this martyr, I'm in a really secure spot. It's very familiar. Imagine what you might be like if you weren't that. If you weren't that victim. If you weren't that success. If you weren't all that you ever thought you might achieve. What would that which is true in you be like then? And this gets into some, into some really sticky areas because this is where we don't want to go, typically. And it's what arises in practice over time. We start recognizing that, all right, the teaching keeps telling us, okay, let go, let go, let go, let go. Okay, I'm done. I'm done with that whole letting go thing. And, and I still feel bound, uh, feel contracted, feel, you know. If our practice is an authentic practice, it's not a practice that is about translating all of our experiences and filtering it through this dichotomy of uh, this or that. Our experience in practice really should be about transformation. And transformation is an incredibly difficult thing. It takes tremendous dedication. A dedication that is wholehearted, a dedication that is all about awareness of your tendency to be about gain and loss. That's transformative. It's translative for our separate self-sense or our mind or our ego. Every one of those will work. It's translative for our egoic self-sense. If we look at a practice about getting something 
or doing away with something. When in fact, what an authentic spiritual practice is really about, it's not about salvation in the future. It's not about the guilt that we may have experienced or the misdeeds that were done against us in the past. It's about right here, right now, opening our hearts and minds wide open to just this experience. Just this experience. And just this experience. And being there for it. And what happens when we go into this space of full, just naked meeting of our experience, an undefended openness to whatever is arising, the big self begins to recognize itself through the small self. The small self shudders and sputters and tries to cope and tries to hang on, but the big self-awareness starts to inform the small self-activity in ways that allow for miracles and mysteries to unfold consciously in our experience and in the experience of others. And the way to do this is to just not move. Just sit down, shut up. <laughs> just be quiet. Consciously. When a big self-consciousness begins to inform a small self-contraction, what happens is, over time, the loosening of that small self occurs. It is oftentimes really awkward, and it expands and it contracts again and so forth. It's often just painful, tough to watch. Uh, but that's the work. Watch that. And when that happens, the big self, in its informing of the small self, creates an integrated, deep singularity where you participate in the world as love, uncontracted, unattached, beautiful, joyous, ease, consciously, in the world. You're not hiding on a mountain. You're not hiding in a monastery. You're not, not on that mountain and you're not not in that monastery, you're walking right between the mental boundary of infinity and the world of form, where we can get things. The world bound by gain and loss. And this whole thing, this whole practice, this whole spiritual seeking is designed to get you to realize and get me to realize that we are not one infinitesimal 
bit apart from anything. There is no way that sitting still is going to get us closer to spirit than we already are. I had a question about that a couple of weeks ago. Isn't this, then this whole thing is designed to fail? We're supposed to fail? This whole path is delusion? Uh-huh. Yeah. If you don't let go of what I'm saying, if you don't let go of what Scripture says, if you don't let go of what faith tells you, if you don't let go of all that stuff, you're still trapped by the gain and the loss. So we can look at any type of spiritual work, especially as it relates to you know, a, a teacher-student relationship, as something that you are destined to let go of. And in that letting go, there's this recognition that, oh, I projected all this stuff onto the teacher that I always already knew, that was always already here to begin with. All we do when we sit is just sweep. We just keep cleaning, keep, keep polishing the lampshade, a little more radiance here, a little more order in the house here, a little mess over there, but it's okay because I'm aware of it. And what happens is the house itself starts to just fall away. The lamp itself starts to become nothing other than light. Just this very awareness becomes all things. And we get to rest there. As we feed the grandchild... as we get frustrated with the contractor putting up the fence on our new property. <laughs> whatever it happens to be, whatever our loss happens to be, whatever our gain happens to be, we develop this quiet, peaceful equanimity and relate to it just as we relate to watching ducklings crossing the street with their mother. Everything has a certain radiant smile to it. And if we can meet it consciously, we are embracing the world, but never grasping it. So some warning signs that we can be careful of. Recognize in your awareness when you feel like something is wrong, when you feel like there's a problem, watch that. Maybe it's real, maybe it's true. Maybe that intuition is exactly spot on. Maybe it's not. Is that problem keeping you in a mind state of translation? Or is that questioning helping you get to a place of transformation? Watch for 
Secondly, at least, I would say. First, watch for something when you think something is wrong. Secondarily, I would say, watch for the wish or desire to become something other than what you really are. Watch your tendency to move when the kitchen gets hot, when you're meeting somebody else. Is your habitual tendency to become shy or to pop off or to doubt that person's intentions or to decide you really, really, really like that person and you really want to hang out with them again? Or what, What's going on? What's going on? Can you study that? Watch very carefully, especially in spiritual practice, for the mind trying to grasp something that is totally beyond its ability to even reach. And most importantly, save this one for last, watch for when you need to have something extra. Watch for that. I'm not saying that any of these things are wrong. That would put us back into the gain, loss, right, wrong, praise, blame area. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm saying they're things to watch and study. Because what happens is, rather than moving around on this, as I, I mentioned in my last talk, kind of a two-dimensional plane of gain and loss, here, here, that, that, instead of just being on a two-dimensional plane, suddenly what happens is, is we study that two-dimensionality of our normal experience, the egoic, separate self-sense experience of here, there, this, that, yes, no, right, wrong. When we get really deeply centered, when our weight, our psycho-spiritual center of gravity starts to take over in the center, and we're no longer blown around by these winds, Okay? The bottom falls out. And the bottom falls out of that plane and it allows us into a multidimensionality, as I mentioned. It allows us into the vast expanse. And that vast expanse allows us to watch and witness our experience as it occurs. And that watching is our freedom. And that's transformative, it's not translative. Translation happens on the two-dimensional plane. The movement of ego this way, that way. This, mm -hmm. All right. But when we get centered and we fall into that which is beyond just that two-dimensionality and it becomes multi-dimensional, it becomes beyond length, width, and depth, and time. It goes beyond all of that. Yet simultaneously, it allows us to participate fully in our day. No matter what job we have, no matter what task there is in front of us, we become conscious manifestations of awakening. We become the Buddha that has always been within. We become the Christ consciousness that has always already been here. And all these words are just pointers. Even the experience itself when grace descends and snaps and you have this radical, psychological, 
thrust of experience and you go, oh, oh, wow. Even that's just a pointer. That needs to be let go of as well. That's the practice. That's a transformative practice. It's not a translative practice. And that's why having a group is nice because it takes some fearlessness. We have to stiffen our spine a little bit and say, all right. And we make this choice. Do we keep going or do we, do we pull back? And to that end, there are really no answers. We just have a chance. Each of us has a chance to do this before we die. Michael, I'm not clear on your use of the word translated or translatable. Maybe, fair enough, let, let me back up a little bit and define ego, okay? I talk about that image all the time, and the image itself, you still got to let go of eventually, but the ego is essentially that in us which feels separate, which feels like a subject, and everything else is an object. The ego is the thing that feels like I'm in here and everything else is out there. It's that in us which feels separate. Okay? Now that in us which feels separate, especially as it goes down the path, path with a capital P, the spiritual path, that which feels separate and walks down the path is anxious, in some cases desperate to understand. Understanding on the path is kind of a stealth name for attachment. Ego wants to attach to everything along the path so that it can become enlightened. When in fact, ego is the major impediment to enlightenment, awakening. It is the melatonin that keeps us <laughs> spiritual moment is the, you know, I won't even go further with that because I was stupid, but still, <laughs> you get the idea. It is that in us which keeps us from actually opening. So, ego is anxious for translation. In other words, we use spirituality. We use spirituality itself as a way of making sense of the chaos around us. So, we look to the scripture, and ah, it says here, so therefore, and when, when it goes through that mode, it creates a translative connection with any teaching. Whenever ego gets an answer, whenever the separate self-sense gets a, oh, okay, that's a translation. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. So then a transformation is way past that. Right. That's, when, that's when that no longer works. It no longer satisfies the evolutionary impulse within each of us to get past that. That's a very real thing that ego, that's one of the things that ego can't reach. Ego can't understand the evolutionary uh, impulse 
that is not only go going on within us, but it's also going on in the ultra deep field. If you've, uh, you know, I mean, it's just phenomenal what we're uncovering about our own universe externally. And if we're part of that universe, you know what's going on internally. Which is why I believe very strongly that enlightenment, awakening, uh, awareness is going to start popping up everywhere, much, much more than we ever imagined. We're primed. We've recognized. This is why in many cases, traditional churches and, and wisdom traditions, they're butting up against it because it's based on ego. It's based on translation. And when you have a wisdom tradition that actually goes back to what the saints and sages have been talking about, whammo, it becomes translate, excuse me, it becomes transformative. It goes beyond mind and beyond time. And it becomes awareness itself for everybody. Which sounds very natural and like it doesn't take any effort, whereas the translation part sounds like a struggle and yeah, an effort. That's exactly yeah. right. That's exactly right. Why do you think it's so hard? Why do you, th why do you think, Master, <laughs> that, it's so, that, it's so, that it's so hard? Why do you think it's so hard? Do you have a theory on that one? The translation part? No, the transformation. Transformation. Translation takes a lot of work. It takes study. It yeah. takes commitment. It takes, right? Transformation takes nothing other than opening totally. Got a theory? It's very countercultural. <laughs> <laughs> it's a counterculture. Yes. And kind of accidental. It's a spontaneous oops. The spontaneous oops. The cosmic giggle is a gift. All we have to do is be open for it, open to it, source our lives from it, let it live through us. And that's when it sees itself. And we, we are that. Isn't also part of the reason why it's so hard to and to transform that way is because one of the key parts of that, as you keep saying, is stillness. But ego really dislikes stillness. Yep. Actually, it's not that it dislikes stillness. It can't function in stillness because ego can only move. Monkey mind. Yeah, monkey mind. Whenever your mind is just rattling while you're sitting still, that's, that's a good sign on the one hand because that's ego saying, don't you dare, don't you dare, don't you dare. That's ego desperately hanging on. Desperately hanging on. And, but then to counter that, to actually achieve stillness, I find that it takes a significant amount of, of effort to force my mind to be still. Mm. Isn't that ego? Yeah. I'd be very careful about forcing anything because that's ego then trying to come in through the back door. So instead, 
and this is to kind of add to Cheney's brilliant comment, I think it makes a lot of sense, at least from, from the context of awakening. It makes an awful lot of sense to allow the mind to exhaust itself. Because if you let the mind exhaust itself and the commitment is, I'm not moving, I'm just going to keep watching you, it will run out of gas. It cannot have the energetic charge if it is being observed. It's almost like a divine shame. As it is exposed to the light of your consciousness, the ego stops its its motion, especially when that light of consciousness, there's a settling into it. Stillness will arrive. Stillness will express itself. It's, in fact, it's never not expressing itself. There's just a layer of movement that distracts continually. Our muscles our spiritual, if you will, spiritual muscles are geared towards translation. They're not geared towards transformation. So we've had all of this conditioning that really as simple as the letting go is. What we're really doing is unlearning amazing patterns. And as that unlearning continues, we fall awake. And, but then also, it seems to me that, as Jeannie said, that our culture is so steeped in the antithesis of what the path that we should be on. Mm -hmm. That is, especially, you know, the American culture is, is one of more, 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 you know, win, et cetera. And, and, and be active, you know, to excess. Yeah. Which goes back to the whole thing of unlearning. Right. Now, what an amazing opportunity to bring all of this unlearning into the cultural representation of ego. Taking this, taking this expression deep connection, resonant uh, expression of infinity, of stillness, into the workplace, into the marriage, into Memorial Stadium where Cal wins. Hopefully. More often than not now. <laughs> so I just had to get that in there. I just, uh, yeah, it's, um, and, and, I think that's the view that, and that's the, that's the view of the path that I keep trying to articulate. This is not about dissolving into the deep singularity and staying there. It's about recognizing the fundamental already always here-ness of the deep singularity and then letting that way of relating to all things inform your activity. The view does not change at awakening. 
your relationship to the view changes amazingly. So as that relational experience unfolds from translation into transformation, the world changes with you. You are changed by the world, and you change the world. Because we are the world. We are the world. We are the children. We are the ones who make a brighter day. <laughs> um, talking about the translating as opposed to the transformative, um, I don't have a lot of time left in my life because I'm older. And so for me, it's so essential that I try to learn how not to suffer because it's a bummer to suffer a lot, right? It is a bummer to suffer. Yes. So um, I, I am a translator, a professional translator. And I made a, a bid for a job. And I made a big mistake. I miscalculated. And essentially, it ended up being that I am going to have to work about 40 hours free because I miscalculated how much time it would take. So those 40 hours became an issue with me. Uh -huh. I could be, I felt, you know, this is, this is terrible. I should be paid for what I do. And the work that I do, in this case, I am simultaneously translating and then recording so it is a very, very challenging, very exhausting work. So then I stopped there and I said, well, I don't want this to turn into a source of pure suffering. What am I going to do? And of the little bit I know about you know, Buddhism and what you teach, I thought, well, maybe if I just do it, I just do it. Instead of thinking, well, you know, I could have made this, I should be making this much more money. Um, how stupid of me to have done what I did. Um, a, I mean, there were so many different translatable issues, you know, this and that. And all of that would end up in my feeling awful. I didn't totally succeed. But in the sense of what you were saying, if I, I tried, and I, I'm still doing it, I'm trying to just doing it, and staying there, trying to let go of all these other, you know, messages that come from my ego, of course, and, and my telling myself, if only you had realized that the font on the text was smaller, you know, one can go on forever. So your, your lecture uh, is going to help me move through those 40 or 30 or 40 hours that I have of free work <laughs> with a happy heart. Well, good. Then this stuff works, doesn't it? Because, <laughs> because I guess I just have to just be there and do it. So yeah. thank you. Oh, yeah, well, you know, Lucy, um, that's the teaching. I mean, everything you just said, that is the teach. That's the core of the teaching. It's like, well, I could let ego run with this, or I can surrender what is to what is, 
and participate fully. But sometimes it feels like we almost enjoy the suffering. Ego loves the suffering at some point. You no, know, yeah. uh, but then when you're approaching, I'm going to be 17 in two months, and I'm saying, I think I have 10 more years of being lucid. Then I'm, I, don't, I won't even know what's going on. Well, I better pay attention to these next 10 years and, you know and have a lot of fun. I think every one of us, every one of us, if we could take that reality and put that in the back of our heads whenever we feel a complaint arise, a wish for something to be different, if we could every single time have that little reminder go off, I may not be here tomorrow. That puts everything into perspective. The expansive perspective as opposed to the contracted translative perspective. We are all free. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome.